All right. Welcome into another week's episode of Agency Journey. This is Gray McKenzie from Zen Pilot. This week, I've got the pleasure of bringing on Joel Kletke, who is a conversion copywriter. He's also the founder at Case Study Buddy. We'll dig into what that is here in just a second. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to dig in to the story. I don't know if people will catch it right away. Um, you're located up in Calgary, is that right? Calgary, yeah. I was listening to a um, a podcast or an interview on YouTube, rather, that you were on. And the moment you said process, I was like, yep, <laughs> I, I know where Joel is located now. <laughs> that, was, that was the giveaway for me right away. Um, I'm, I'm excited to dig into uh, to your background. though. So you started out, um, I think, way back in the day. Were you an SEO first? And then yeah, I mean, copywriting. Yeah, every job I've had, other than my first like accounting gopher type of job, is a field I didn't even know existed until I kind of worked in it. So I fell kind of backwards into SEO um, as my first job agency side. I spent almost five years there, kind of working on all kinds of different accounts, and it was. In my work at the agency, I, I had always loved to write, but never saw a career in it. I never wanted to be a journalist. Fiction was not, you know, a predictable, you know, viable career path in my mind. So I did a business degree just mostly as like, well, use it for something, I'm sure. Um, but through the agency, my eyes were kind of open to the whole world of digital marketing. And and the big thing that stood out though for me was the whole as the entire industry started to turn its head towards content. Um, and started to pay attention to content actually mattering and, and being an integral part of that. Um, we, we'd worked with some freelancers who wrote site copy and blog kind of that sort of thing. And I, I thought ultimately, well, why not me? Like, this is what I'm good at, what I love to do. So in 2013, I went out of my own and, and originally was doing most of the content side of things. Um, promptly crashed right into the world of conversion copywriting, which scared the hell out of me. Didn't really know it was a thing. Knew more about the direct response side of things, which I always felt was a little bit greasy because my exposure to it was, you know, like alternative cancer cures and, and the ugly stuff. Um, but when I came across fellow Canadian and Queen Bee of the conversion world, Joanna Weeb, that's where I really saw the potential, you know, to do good with this stuff and, and that it wasn't that intimidating, that it was something that I could do and, and could do well. So kind of about a year and a half, two years in, started really focusing on the conversion side. Um, and, and was able to get a lot of good traction with that. Um, it was on the back of a project on the conversion side with WP Engine, where someone who sat on their board said, hey, I've got a little company I advise who does you know, needs a case study. Is that something you do? Um, and, and type of guy you just don't say no to. So yeah, sure, I'll figure that out. And that's that's where kind of the if you trace the origin story of case study, but especially all the way back, that's kind of where the kernel of, of the idea started. What, um, so you launched case study, what, 2016, 2015? Yeah. I, I that always gets mucked that, up in, that in that my mind. <laughs> yeah. We, we've been around over five years at this point. So one of the two, let's say 2016 to be safe. Yep. So, um, building that out, what was the initial off? Not, uh, like, was it, hey, we'll build you one case study, I assume, one-time project? And how different is that process at that point? Because you'd been copywriting. Um, you, know, you already um, had a good sense for what makes great content. But what's been the evolution, I guess, from that initial offering to what the service looks like today? Yeah. Initially, the idea was 
very productized. It was okay. I'll have you know a particular format because I didn't I didn't really know any better at the time. I thought I'll have a particular format, and I already knew having done the conversion work. A lot of the questions and insights that we look for are customer story driven, anyways. Right? What was going on in the business? What made the experience so positive and and, and valuable for them? What kind of ROI are they seeing, and how do they talk about it? And so it was really for me the reason it made sense beyond. The business case for it, which I can also talk about, but these are assets that were, were hard to do, but could be productized. There's no ownership internally for, for a lot of companies. And so I thought, well, originally the idea was I will do a kind of a productized service. I will have a sort of set case study and it will be, you know, one at a time. I wasn't thinking down the road of how do they get buy-in for these? And so I was like the complexity of it occurred to me as I started doing it more and more. But originally the idea was just a productized service around a pretty well-defined content asset project to project. And if um, you were running it, what did that first one look like when you, I mean, I'm assuming you structured as like, Hey, I'm going to go interview your customer. I'm going to have one conversation with them. I'm going to write the draft, send it to you for review, send it to the client or the you know, your client for review, mm. polish it up and publish it. Was that, the first iteration or was it simpler or more complex than that? It was, it was more or less like that, right? Like I, I did, I did do my homework on like, I, I looked at a bunch of case studies. I identified what I liked and disliked. Like I really didn't like the super high level, just a bullet point list of like, here's what we did. But I, you know, from the beginning, I really did see the potential for telling the story better. I wanted them to be more human assets, which meant an interview was non-negotiable. I was there was no reality in which I was going to go. No, I'll just interview you and you tell me because number one, I didn't want to get sued into oblivion. Number two, I want them to be better human, more interesting stories. So the original offer, you know, when I was kind of, I, I first shopped it to my friends and, and network quietly. I didn't go like here's new business. I just kind of said, I'm, I'm working on this. I'll give you a really good deal, but I wanted kind of fine tune the process. It was through doing it that this came together as well. And my my idea, I, I knew enough to know I didn't know enough. So originally the offer was, I'll do an interview with your customer. I'll write the draft. I'll get your approval. I'll get their sign off. I'll deliver the draft and off you go. Um, within very short order, within the, the, the process of doing the first few, some things became abundantly clear. Number one, the huge opportunity for the final designed asset because literally everyone was like, can you put this into something? So that right away, it was like, yeah, definitely got to get a design sort of portion to this. Um, but it, what became readily apparent is that with case studies, the hardest part of doing them, I mean, there are lots of hard parts of doing them, but it's the administrative side in a lot of cases is being on top of persistently following up and checking in and getting that approval. And so again, the pieces started to come together where it's like, well, we really need, you know, if this thing is going to fly, we're really going to need to be on top of that sort of project management piece as well. And then before that too, you kind of realize again, going in, I, I had kind of just a pretty simplistic brief, but with each successive story, new questions got added to that brief in terms of what do we really need to know? What's going to make for the best possible story? How do I make sure, for example, that the next call I get on the response when I ask about metrics isn't going to be Oh, you know what? I don't have any of those. Let me go get them for you. And then I never hear from that person again. Right. So, you know, the, you by doing it myself, hands on in the weeds from start to finish, 
you start to see for yourself why these are so difficult and why the problem that you want to solve, you know, it exists. And I, I got to start to engineer the process and the offer more toward the nuances of doing these really, really well. Right. And that's, um, uh, well, you made two points there that uh, are helpful. And then I've got a follow-up question off it. Um, but one of the last point that you're making there is like, there's a big chunk of a lot of the stuff that looks really cool on the outside. That is the workhorse t- type stuff. That's like, now it's the admin, the project management type stuff. That's actually mm-hmm. a huge pain and a huge piece of the, um, the problem. And I think oftentimes if you actually get into the details on what makes anything tick, like a lot of it is, Hey, is the fundamental stuff. Like it, it really is a lot of the basic building blocks. It's not more complex um, than that in a lot of cases. But the other piece that you mentioned, I love that you came into it with a point of view. Um, you had an opinion on how case studies should go. And I'd assume that's a piece of what's made case studies, uh, buddy successful has been, we've got a perspective on what we want case studies to look like. It's not, you don't, as a client, you don't design, we've got a format that we want to follow and a, a method that works, um, in our opinion and, and from what we've seen, uh, and now we want to go apply that to um, to the businesses who are willing to get in line with the the type of case studies that you produce. I know there's more flexibility in that, but coming into a marketplace with a point of view is powerful too. Um, yeah, and maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about that point of view too. I'll let I'll let you jump in with whatever thoughts you had there, but also I'd love to hear kind of what does you know what does a great case study look like in Joel's opinion? Yeah, that's that's where I was going. I, I think. Again, in the early days, a lot occurred to me, and that was part of what excited me about the opportunity and and what made this business sexy to me is not just these are hard to do assets and every B2B company on the planet needs them, and there's not a lot of ownership internally and so on and so forth. But when I looked at a couple of things, how they're coming together, right? Most case studies are boring. They're narcissistic. They're tough to believe because the people putting them together either never involve the client or they only cherry pick their very, very best cases and don't give a lot of depth or clarity on how that win was made possible. And so when I was kind of surveying the landscape, the stories that I like best were the stories where the customer was truly at the heart of the customer success story. It was never look at us, rah, rah, bullet point list of what we've done. It was all about here's what the customer was going through, what drew them to us. Here are values played out in real life in a story. Um, And so in my mind, what makes a great customer success story, if we're breaking it down kind of section by section, we all know the, the challenge solution results formula. For a lot of people, that's where it starts and finishes. But the mistake that gets made and the opportunity that's there is in the challenge section, you don't just want to talk about what was broken. You want to talk about the stakes. What would happen if this hadn't have gotten solved? Why was this personally frustrating or painful for the individual? Uh, we, we forget that people in B2B are under pressures of their own. A marketing manager has KPIs they need to hit. They have goals they need to reach and so on. And that's what people ultimately relate to. In the solution section, everybody talks about the what. But to me, a great story of the solution section is about the why. Not just what you did. Why did you take that approach? Especially for agencies um, everybody wants to say, well, we did this, we did this, we ran this type of campaign. That's wonderful. But why? Why did you push the client towards those services and not others? 
What did you do within that campaign that made it a success? Why did you choose that particular angle and not another? That's what a lead is really interested in is not just what win did you get for someone else, but how does your thinking work so that when you bring that to me, when you bring that to bear for my account, I'll see a great result. And then in the results section, everyone loves the sexy metric. Some of my favorite stories we've ever done, though, have no metric at all. And that's because it's it's about pains alleviated, outcomes achieved. That's not always numerical. But in the results section, a great story, in my opinion, doesn't just talk about the result. It talks about the impact. And especially for agencies, the worst results section you can have is like an analytics graph where it's like, look up to the right. Like nobody cares. No, nobody cares or understands what you're showing them. The big thing is, okay, you got, let's say you got a 20% lift in traffic or you got a 100% increase in conversions. What did that make possible for the business? How did it change their day-to-day? What can they do now that they couldn't do before? So a, a real story goes that one layer more to really get into the, the human side of it and, and beyond just kind of the surface level win, which most companies never do. So I've been on the other side of case study. I've been on both sides um, looking at, we've done historically a terrible job with telling the story of client um, client engagements and client wins. That has gotten a lot better in the past year, but a lot of that is used as sales assets. We did very little. Um, we, we're starting to push out more um, stuff, but there's still, a, there's still a big gap. So looking at hiring case study buddy, to come in and help us, but also being on the flip side where um, HubSpot is one of your clients uh, right now. And I was just on the other side of a case study um, for the HubSpot's payments product. And that interview conversation, very tightly run, 30 minute uh, conversation from case study buddy. I smiled when I saw uh, after HubSpot reached out asking about the case study and then introduced, I was like, yes, this is gonna be, this is gonna be fun to see what the service is like on the other side. But 30 minutes, there's a whole, it, didn't, it was not scripted and robotic, but there's clearly a script. You guys have a process for what questions are going to get asked and what the follow-up questions um, look like, which someone in my line of work appreciates a lot, uh, being the process nerd. Um, but a lot of questions around, obviously, what was the situation? What were you feeling during that situation? The emotion tied to um, the situation and outcome as well. And then from a results perspective, what does that mean in terms of cost savings? What does that mean in terms of time savings? What does that mean in terms of your ability to go focus elsewhere? And what's the impact of the time? It's not just how much time did you save, but what did you actually do with that time? It's like the second order, third order questions uh, that are impactful. So that is a huge, um, a huge tip and takeaway. That one, I think we talked about this when uh, when I originally um, had a conversation with with your team from the hiring side. But living through it on the other side, being asked that question, it's like, oh, this is uh, this is cool to see happen um, on the back end of it. So that piece of kind of how do we get those questions and then pull that together? How do you, obviously you've got a script and some training there. How do you train or how do you convey that back to like, what are the practical ways that you give your copywriters and you give your account management team and you give you know, the interview, like each person project management each person on the case study buddy team uh, get them looped in so that they are building high converting or, you know, high, uh, very effective case studies. Yeah. I I think importantly um, we have, I wouldn't necessarily call the script. We have a formula. 
our formula is BDA, before, during, after. And we have kind of questions that we go to, but one of the things that I hated about uh, most case studies and, and listening to other interviewers, uh, because we, we would have clients over time parachute interview, interviews that they've done, and they're very wooden. And it's obvious that it's like, these are the questions that I planned and I shall not deviate. Uh, we made a, a decision very early um, to separate interviewing and writing on the team. We have interviewers who just interview. We have writers who just write. It's not because both sides can't do it. There's some bandwidth wins and things like that. But when we look for interviewers, one of the things that we want is that ability to get into the muck of an industry and understand what makes a question meaningful, where to push in, where to pull back within that BDA sort of uh, framework. And so from the, for the whole team, uh, and this is one of the things, honestly, that we're continuing to work on because as we grow, it gets harder and harder to make sure it proliferates through everybody. Uh, but one of the things that we look for and try to communicate from the beginning is, hey, it, as a North Star, we're trying to tell a human-focused, impactful story. We, we, the, the customer is always at the center. Their experience is always at the center. Focused means we're not asking about everything that happened. We're trying to zero in on a particular aspect, which makes for a much better story. Uh, and then impactful means that we're trying to, again, capture the full 360 view of that. What did it look like? What did it feel like? What did it make possible? Um, part of the challenge that we have with so many different roles taking part, the account manager, the project manager, the interviewer, before an interviewer even gets on a call, the AM, the PM have touched that project. We are hiring towards AMs who understand the world of storytelling and can look at a brief, identify a gap, push in and make sure that we're asking the right questions. One of the things that we're working on between the AM and PM team, and it's a constant work in process, is how do we make that interviewee feel as prepared as possible to tell a really great story. So for example, we were trying to make a really concerted effort to, to get our clients when they're making the ask and then our AM and PM or our PM team when they're making the introductions to say, we would really love it if you could speak to these elements of your story. So that, that interviewee comes in confident knowing this is the type of thing I might be asked and these are the metrics that, that I might reference. When it gets down to the creation team, there, it's about, again, we set a vision, we set a North Star, this is what a great piece looks like, this is what the right level of detail looks like. And so everything up till then, from the brief to the way that the PMs and AMs engage, has been oriented around how do we make sure we get not only the detail, but the context, so that when we pass this off, the interviewer who can do what they do best, and the writer can take that great interview and all of the rich detail pulled out of it and turn it into a story that's worth telling and, and worth reading. So it is a concerted effort. It gets harder to do as we grow, um, but we have a lot of checks and balances throughout each stage to make sure that we're not dropping context off a cliff. And to close this thought out, that can be challenging because the reality is in the case study side of things, most of our customers, even the big ones, are relatively unaware. They, they think a case study is a case study is a case study. Oh, why don't you just ask them the same stock questions? But then when they see the potential for something focused and strategic, aligned with a business goal, rich in context, then they start to get it. And then we start to get better briefs and, and have better outcomes and so on. I have a couple uh, very practical questions to ask. One is around the medium. You guys do obviously the text, you know, you can put it on your blog, you can have a PDF, you can have a short snippet, you've got a video, you know, a short video or a long video. What is most popular right now? Obviously video is expensive to do, but 
uh, or more more expensive to do. Um, but has there been a big rise in the number of companies who want to go video, or is tech still the the winner? So we we launched as a written only service. I think that's really important to say. We're latecomers to video. Um, we are, you know, we've got a video team now. We're continuing to grow and deepen our offering there. So for us, the bulk of the work we still do is is still on the written end. I think, you know, there there is a misconception. I love video and I think it's amazing, but there are times when a written asset is simply better. Um, if you want to get into the guts of a story, the guts of ex- uh, execution, you know, a, a video testimonial is wonderful when you want just the customer's perspective, hear the accolades, hear their experience. When you want to communicate what you did as an agency as part of that story or as what you did as a software company as part of that story, a written asset allows for a depth that you would need a five-minute video for. And in that case, I, I can promise you nobody's watching a video longer than two and a half minutes in most cases. So we have seen, um, especially through the pandemic, an explosion in demand for the remote video side of things. I think people are realizing, depending on your brand, remote video can still be pretty polished. Um, But the raw aesthetic as well, even if it's not, for some brands, it makes a ton of sense. When you think of the coaching space, when you think of markets where you serve freelancers or uh, different industries it do, where you don't need that you know high production on location shoot video doesn't have to be that expensive and it can be a, a wonderful medium um, so we've seen a big increase in video but what I would say and what's encouraging to me because this is how the company has changed and kind of what we're hanging our hat on so whether it's the tail wagging the dog or not I don't know but we are seeing an enormous increase in people kind of recognizing that hey, these aren't just bottom of funnel sales assets. They're not just give the PDF to the sales team or throw it on the blog. People are starting to recognize these can be full funnel assets. We can use an audiogram for lead acquisition. We can use a video in our cold outreach. We can use a one sheet on social media, or we can use a narrative version of the study on our site. And so if there's anything that we're seeing, it's definitely an uptrend in the video side of things. The written is not going away. It's it's growing as well. Um, but we are seeing more companies look at doing more formats because these are hard-won assets. There's a lot of moving parts. If you're going to do them anyways, make it an investment and get as much collateral from it as you possibly can to use everywhere. So we're seeing a lot more companies kind of choosing multiple formats as well. That makes sense. This is not related to, I mean, this is, not, this is related to your experience in copywriting. Mm-hmm. Is there, do you have, uh, this is probably more for the copywriting clients that you've got. Is there a hierarchy of copywriting? Uh, we'll just take an agency as an example, like, the first thing you need to nail is your homepage, then your services page, then your welcome email, then your about, then your case studies. Like, where do case studies fit in the hierarchy? And what are the things, if you go to like Zenpilot, 90% of the stuff on the main core pages I wrote, I, I enjoy writing. I'm not a conversion copywriter. Um, if you were to come in and say, hey, we should fix this up, do you have a standard order that you look at? solving those those issues in? I think it's less a hierarchy and more a conveyor belt um, because you can have, for example, a wonderful homepage and you'll get leads in the door, but let's say you're a software company and you have no nurture at all, 
well, that's wonderful. One part's working, the next part is, is completely broken. So when I think through it, um, when I'm working with clients, I try to diagnose where the conveyor belt is broken and focus there. But um, specific to agencies, the front end site is a huge deal. I mean, there are companies, you reach a certain point where your brand name carries you forward. And, and at some point, people want to work with you because of who you are and what you've done and what you've worked on. And, and that's great. I've worked on a lot of agency sites. I've consulted to a lot of agencies. And I would say the three most critical pages without fail every single time. The homepage is obviously important because it's where you plant your flag. I promise you, agencies who are listening to this, if you go to your analytics and you bring it up and you look at what's our second most visited page on the whole site, the vast majority is going to be our about us page. Yep. Vast majority. And people go there. And why do people go there? And why do we spend so much time working on those pages? That's where your client figures out, not just, okay, you're an agent. They figure out if they like you. And if they see you mirroring the values they have, and if they see you having the, the proof that it, it takes to get them over the lines. So for example, when I worked on Era, we spent a lot of time on nailing that about us page because that was the place. Yeah, the homepage is where you make it obvious who you are, what you do, what you're about. But the about us page is really more of an about you page for the client. It's what why we are the best fit to serve you. So the homepage, the about us page. And then when you get into your services pages. Um, I mean, the contact page, there's a lot of like shoelace tripping that happens there, making things like either needlessly complicated or not vetting leads well enough. So I'll spend a fair amount of time on that front. When you get into the services pages though, being aware of how aware your customer is makes a huge difference. Because let's say you're an SEO agency. Odds are, unless you're serving small businesses, like you don't need a section saying, what is SEO? Like they know, right? It's more about how do you execute that? How do you take care of the client through that? What makes the way that you approach that you know, unique or, or best for the audience that you serve? What I will say now, and this is, I'm wearing my bias on my sleeve, but because I get to live in both worlds on the conversion side and on the case study side of things, social proof is the ultimate differentiator in that regard. Like other agencies can steal your headlines. They can steal your design. They can steal your service suite. You know, like in a world that's saturated and everyone's saying, we're an extension of your team, a story that shows that is going to beat the pants off an agency that says that every single time. And so a really critical area of an agency site is a results page. There's a company called Client Boost. Go look at how they let people filter their case studies because- it's, I'm not just saying it because I recommend it to them. It's really smart. They don't just have by industry or whatever. It's like, show me companies who were really small or had a small budget or are unicorns now or whatever. So I would say start on the front end because that's your identity. But I, I honestly believe right after that point, if, if you've got leads coming in, the social proof side of things, especially for an agency... That's where the rubber hits the road in terms of differentiation and really getting people, you know, lined up to to contact you. Client boost is uh, we'll make sure we link those in the show notes too. That's an awesome example. We've had Jonathan on the podcast before, but um, yeah, they collect so many so many reviews. It's um, it's absurd, and the ability to filter it down and find applicable stuff is really helpful. I think one of the under uh, one of the things that um, is undervalued about that approach too is that takes a lot of the heavy lifting off of your sales team. Um, mm-hmm. 
we've got, you know, we're taking uh, this agency came from, you know, they're an e-com agency that is 40 people and they came from Asana to ClickUp. This agency had a process problem and we fixed their process as part of that. ClickUp was implemented. You know, there's uh, the pains, there's agency size, there's agency industry, there's agency geography. And a lot of that right now is on the shoulders of a sales of our sales team to know what pieces to prescribe at which stage in the process. Oh, here's the agency that's like that. Um, versus having all of that public uh, and all developed, it becomes a lot easier for clients just to go find that stuff um, on their own, which is a better prospects to go find it on their own, which is a better experience. Uh, you're stressed on the about page. Here's the next business for you. About page, buddy. We need to work on the name a little bit, but uh, <laughs> that would kill. Um, everyone stresses. Is there a more stressful page to write than your about page? I think this is what I, I mean, we did web design at our agency for a number of years and everyone's stressed about the about page. Oh yeah. It's because you stare into the abyss and the abyss stares back. You're like, yeah. what do I say about myself? Um, yeah, it, they're hard to do because they take the, you almost need to be an arm's length from yourself. And that's why my conversion work, for example, I don't go, yeah, I talk to the boardroom. I get in with the market. You know, I do internal interviews. That's still very important to me. I want to understand the perspective of the company, but you are who your customers say you are, um, you know, and, and it's, it's good that you have goals and you want to evolve that. And that's, we incorporate that. But, you know, if you're stuck on your about page, the place to start is not the blinking cursor. It's close word or close word press or close whatever. Go talk to customers and ask them, what made you choose us? What did you find exceptional about working with us? If you were telling other people about us, like the, the great thing is, right? Like if I was to ask, someone to recommend their agency. Say, why did you choose that agency? They're not going to rattle off a list of 20 reasons. They're going to have two. They're going to say, you know, they communicate really, really well. And we just love the experience they had in fintech, for example. It's like, great. Your your customers distill down your value offering automatically on their own, naturally. Go cherry pick that, right? How do they talk about it? And and that's a good way to get started on the about us, you know, page side of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and further to your point as, as well, like in terms of enabling sales, like the thing is, stories are ammunition. We win when we're in a position to say someone someone comes in, a lead comes in and says, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in moving to ClickUp, but I'm just really, I'm worried about the migration time. You know what? Actually, we just dealt with a customer very similar to you, you know, similar situation. We were able to migrate them in six months. A story is going to, again, beat the pants off in that case. A metric area, oh, our migration is on average 50% faster. That's fine. But to be able to say, you know, we, I know Tom at X company and we just did a very similar migration. Here's his story. Like that, that is ammunition for the sales team. And further too, right? Like in the agency world, especially the thing that people are always critical of communication, reporting, was I kept in the loop? Did I feel like they had my back? Do I feel like they went to bat for me? Stories are always going to be better at proving that to be true than anything you can say as a founder or an owner or a sales rep or a customer success team. So I've got um, two last questions for you here. First one is around tooling. Any, um, any tools that stand out for you guys that are not kind of the, um, somewhat lesser known tools, not, Hey, we use Google for email or whatever, but are there any tools that are core to your process in terms of, it could be how you're recording interviews. It could be what you're using for transcriptions, uh, project management, any, any of those platforms. 
Yeah, I mean, ironically, we're in the process of overhauling a lot of our delivery stack. So we're we're automating and changing some things. I'd say there's some tools that are, especially for the interview side of things and facilitating the transcription side. I mean, we're in love with Descript. Um, fantastic tool, the ability to for our writers to be able to select parts of text and drag it and, and you'll be able to listen back and for our transcriptionists to go in and be able to make text changes and, and all that. And even as we progress into video, um, to have the ability for someone who is not necessarily tech savvy to go in and make cuts and say, these are the best responses, the best takes, and then pass to the, you know, the video team or whatever. The script is so incredibly versatile. Um, you know, so, so we, we do a lot of work in there. Um, you know, beyond that, um, it's a pretty, you know, this, the stack, it, it's nothing super proprietary or special. Like we're certainly working, I think on our end, like I say, to automate and, and do some more kind of tech enablement for the team. Cause we've just grown to the point that that's necessary, but I'd say Descript especially is one that we, yeah, we really like. Uh, that's helpful for as, I know the script's not super old, but for as long as it's been around, I think you're the first person who's brought it up on the podcast. So that's a great recommendation. It's the team there knows what they're doing. And like I say, for me, the ability to visually edit audio and video is magic. Yeah. Um, Second one is around where do people go? What do they do? So uh, first piece is for someone who wants to learn about case study buddy, case study buddy.com. Obviously we'll have that in the show notes. Is there any specific page you point people towards or anything that they should specifically check out on the site? Yeah. I, you know, I would say, um, again, the site's in the process of being overhauled as we grow. I would say though, you know, the YS page gives a good kind of sense of why we are passionate about this and why we're specialized and why that makes sense for a lot of companies. Um, you know, not having to wrangle multiple freelancers or deal with that unpredictability and that sort of thing. So, but, but two, I would say probably the best place to see how our brains work is in the blog. We write a lot about issues you don't even know you have yet with customer success stories that I can guarantee I'll crash into if you decide to make them a, a priority. So those would be places that I'd look. We have our process, you know, on the, um, you know, on the written studies and video studies pages, but you know, so that'll give you a good sense from a high level of how we work. But I would say the blog is, is if you really want to be good at this stuff or you want to see, well, how complex can it be? Like how much really is there to know? I promise you, you'll find some insight that surprises you on the blog. So I, I bias, but I would say, you know, check that out. You'll learn something for sure. I want to point people one other place, which is Twitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at Joel Kletke on, uh, on Twitter. Congratulations. I'm going to get first name, last name on, on Twitter. <laughs> But you've got in your bio, pray for your competitors. After you hire me, they'll need it, which I know has been taken and repurposed by many people many times over, I'm sure, <laughs> at this point. Um, but but you're pretty active on Twitter and, uh, and a good follow there as well. Is there anywhere else you'd point people? Uh, every so often when I'm not currently drowning in <laughs> growing the business as it is, I, I do try to share on LinkedIn. I've, I've, and I, I have a newsletter as well. Uh, it's linked from Twitter. I haven't been as active on the newsletter, but my my philosophy towards all of those channels has always been just give it away. Um, share as much as, as I can. I rarely try to sell anything. My mentality has always been if I can show people how I think, either they'll go do something better on their own 
or they'll think I might be a good person to help them do it. So I'd say probably LinkedIn or the newsletter are also pretty decent places where I, I try to share useful things and be a useful human first. I've tossed around renaming this podcast from agency journey to agency operators and intentionally kind of shifting this to very much what's the operations component of the business. Uh, but your newsletter name is the one of my favorite newsletter names. Isn't it? It's legitimately useful. Is that uh, what the newsletter's uh, called? I remember I seeing wish. that at, at some point in time. And Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I wish it I mean, I, I think I've called it. I don't think it's the formal name of the newsletter, uh, but I think the call to action, maybe from your site, was like uh, join Joel's legitimately useful newsletter or something. Like legitimately uh, useful. It's it's likely. I I have neglected <laughs> I have neglected that stuff of like, but yeah, I mean, I I hate I hate newsletters where it's like every single thing is like buy my course, buy my thing. Like I've always been of the mentality. For me, it's like kind of the pen pal inbox where it's like, I go there when I'm like, I have something I want to teach people or share or an idea. And I genuinely want people to write back to it. And when people actually do, I'm like, this is the best. (laughs) It's great. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's not that I never sell anything. I do believe in what I know and whatever, but most of the time it's, I'm just trying to help people do this stuff better because I think the world benefits when communication gets better all around. For sure. That's a great way to wrap it up. Joel, thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time today uh, being willing to share with us as well. Yeah, cheers. Thank you.